Uh, if you're, if you've been with us any length of time, you know that we're, uh, in a series right now. It's, uh, called A Fresh Look or A New Look at the Old Book. It's designed to maybe take a new spin or a new look at, at Genesis. Um, and, and some of the parts of the Old Testament, maybe stories, if you're not a church person, stories you may be familiar with, but uh, maybe you don't really know much about them, so this is an opportunity maybe to get a sense for, for what, they, what they have to say about our lives and faith. Uh, if you are a person who is uh, familiar with church, you're a church, a churchy church, church kind of person, uh, maybe a, a fresh look, something that might be surprising, uh, something that might be like, well, I didn't think about that, uh, because I, I do think that uh, the Old Testament especially has some really fascinating perspectives on human life and, and worship, and so I hope that uh, those, those come out. Um, especially today, if, you are, uh, if you're a person who's not necessarily a church person, you're maybe uh, thinking about uh, spirituality, maybe uh, there's some confusion in your life, or maybe you're just, uh, you're an ex-Christian, a lot of people I know that's a, that's a hot thing right now, or you grew up in the church and you've walked away, and you're thinking, well, maybe I'll get another shot. Uh, one of the interesting things uh, that we often ask ourselves um, is, what's in it for me, <laughs> uh, to be brutally honest? What's in it for me? Um, and, and church can be a very strange thing uh, for folks to be singing and whatnot. It can be an awesome thing. Uh, but there's a, a question that's sort of behind what we're doing. And, and maybe uh, some of you have asked that question. It's, what's the benefit? What's the benefit of, of worshiping and, and presumably doing it the way God wants us to do it. If there's a God out there, if God's out there uh, and, and, and that God likes worshiping, what, what's the benefit for us? What's the benefit for God? Maybe I think that even if you're a person who's been in church a long time, I think that the answer, the answer is in this text, and I think it's going to be a surprising one. And, and, and you may be looking at this text and thinking, this text isn't about worship. Yeah, it is. So let's, uh, let's look at it, and as we journey through together, I hope that we'll see actually some really practical ways that we can rethink what worship is about and how we do it. So um, this, is, this is my translation um, from the Hebrew. Now Adam knew his wife intimately, and she got pregnant and gave birth to Cain, and said, I have gotten myself a man with the help of Yahweh. I have that in brackets because I've added that. It's really just, I have gotten myself a man with Yahweh. Then she gave birth again, this time his brother Abel. Abel cared for the flocks, and Cain farmed the land. So it was that when the time was right, Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the land's crops, and Abel brought some of the fat parts of his oldest sheep. And Yahweh honored Abel and his offering. But he did not honor Cain or his offering. So Cain got hot with anger and turned his face down. So Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you hot with anger? And why have you turned down your face? If, the, if you do right, will there not be a lifting of your face in brackets? And if you do not do right, sin crouches at the door, longing to snare you, but you are to rule over it. So Cain said to Abel, his brother, let's take a walk in the country. When they were in the fields, Cain attacked Abel, his brother, and killed him. Yahweh said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's a, it's a striking text. Remember, this is uh, the second story about human beings in the Bible. 
Okay? So this is the second time we're, we're introduced to human beings. These are the two, the, so we had Adam and Eve. The next two human beings are Cain and Abel, and this is what happens in their lives. This is, this is the, the, short, uh, the, sort, the, the short version is basically uh, one's a farmer, the other one raises cattle or sheep, and, and the one who's a farmer murders his brother because he, uh, and wow, and for what? Like, this should bring up some, some questions, right? Like, doesn't this seem really unfair in a lot of ways? Number one, it's not like Cain's a bad guy. I mean, at the beginning, right? He, he does. He brings an offering to God. Um, you know, some, probably his wheat or whatever he was growing, maybe some fruits, I'm not sure. Uh, and then his brother brings a sheep and God, like, says, I like the sheep. I'm not interested in what you have. Sorry. Then there's the question of, uh, you know, for, for, for God. It's not like God gave any instructions to these guys. They're not, it's not like they have like a, a rule book of how to make God happy. And so they go down the list and they say, I gotta do this, 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 and this, and that's gonna make God happy, and they follow it. No, 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 there's no rules. This is just instinctual. They're just, they understand that God's out there, and, and He should be, you know, pleased, worshiped. We should, we should acknowledge Him. And so Cain does that, and he gets slapped across the face for it. Even worse, in the fairness category, we've got Abel, who does everything right, God's pleased with him, and he ends up dead. I mean, if you're going to write, like, a holy text, right, so imagine you're going to write, like, a holy text, people are going to live their lives by it. This is probably not the, the story that you would tell about human beings. This is weird. Well, um, as we as we look through, I, I think we can sort of explain and start to understand what's going on kind of between the lines. And when we do, I think we're going to get a sense for uh, really that this is this is about worship, and it's about how we worship, and, wh- and what it, how it how it can help us, us, me, us. So um, let me start. This is this is some some stuff that it's there's Hebrew going on here that's a little bit confusing, right? Um, with the very beginning of the text, Eve says, Eve says, uh, or we, we hear that Eve get pregnant and gave birth to Cain, uh, Cain in, in, in Hebrew. I have gotten, then she says, I have gotten myself a man with Yahweh. So, so, uh, and that's a weird way to think about necessarily like giving birth. Although in some respects it kind of does make sense. Um, Aaron's gonna be giving birth here in September, God willing. And, uh, and I have, this will be number three for me, so, I'll just probably be taking a smoke break and down the hall just waiting for it to be over. Because I'm sort of familiar with it now. And, and what goes on is a whole lot of work. We don't call it labor because it's fun. We call it labor because it hurts and it's hard. And so when a woman's gone through that and she's experienced that, you can imagine her kind of being like, I did it. Yeah, God, God helped. God was there in some way, but I'm the one who was doing the, the, the birthing, Right? Like, God, God's there, but I was kind of doing... And so Eve literally says, I have gotten myself a man. The reason I've translated this way is because um, Cain, his name, uh, when you're in, in here, it, it literally means gotten myself. I have acquired for myself. I have possessed. She's making a little play on, on, of words there. She's naming him after what she has just experienced. She has said, I have gotten myself a man. And so she names him, I have acquired or I have gotten myself. Which is a little weird name, but... They did things differently back then. We'll talk a little more about that. Then, uh, sometime later, she, she gives birth to Abel. Abel, uh, his name is, is really in Hebrew, it's pronounced Hevel. 
And it's actually a word that gets used a lot in the scriptures. If you're familiar with the Bible, you may have heard of Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, um, at the very beginning, uh, Solomon says, uselessness, emptiness, vanity, breath, vapor, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Everything is useless. Everything is vapor. Everything is nothingness. That's the word able. So Eve first gives birth to, I got something for me. And then she gives birth to nothingness, a breath, a vapor. Uh, and, and as we go through the story, we can almost see that maybe this is a little bit of a foreshadowing. Maybe she has some insight about what's going to happen here. Because it's very true. Abel's life, it's like a breath. It's like a vapor. He doesn't even speak. He gets no speaking parts. He's just kind of there, does his thing, and then bam, he's dead. Well, uh, to show you a little bit more about why this is important, at the very end of Genesis 4, Eve is, after all this disaster happens uh, and, and terribleness, uh, Eve and Adam are going to try again. And, and this is what happens. Adam knew his wife intimately again. She gave birth to a son. She named him Seth because God has given me another child. Seth, or Shet in Hebrew, is the same as has given, shot. Shet and shot, just like Cain and Cainiti. She's using a play on words to say, something's happened here. Something's happened. God has given me. Notice this is very different. Eve's gone through life. She's seen some different, some things, some things have changed. And before she was saying, I got myself a boy. Thanks, God. You were there, presumably, somehow. Now she's saying, God has given me. A son, because she started to realize that life is probably a little more precious, a little more fragile than she expected. Now she understands the miracle of birth as she's, I mean, she's doing stuff, but really it's God who's acting here. God's the giver of life. Notice that change. Why is that important to our text? Because of the Hanks, the Hankses, Tom and Colin. Tom and Colin Hanks. It's hard to tell them apart. It's like, it's like they went to the clone factory. And, uh, and yeah, so you, the young Tom Hanks next to his son, uh, Colin, like you, you juxtapose it and it's bizarre. It's like, was there even a mother involved? Like, did he get all of Tom's DNA? He got all of Tom's physical DNA. He got all of his mother's acting DNA because he's kind of terrible. <laughs> uh, I found out this last week that um, I walk like an ape. Yeah. Did you know this? Some of you who have seen me walk, apparently it's true. Uh, Eric uh, was doing the, the sound for, um, for VBS, and I was walking up to him. He's like, you know, you walk like an ape. I was like, good morning. <laughs> cool. He's like, no, seriously, look what you do. He says, I do this. I put, I, I, normal people apparently walk like this. I put my hands out, and then I kind of like slump forward, and I like kind of walk like this. Who knew? Um... And apparently what's actually going on is that um, I actually walk the way my father walks. <laughs> apparently he also walks like an ape. No, because I asked some other people, I'm like, how do I walk? And they say, you look just like your dad. Dad, we're, uh, yeah, all right. Um, and the point being that, uh, that fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and mothers and sons and fathers and daughters, they share things, right? It's not just physical appearance. It can even be demeanor, right? Like the way we walk. Um, it can, it, and it can also filter down to character. And one of the things that's going on in, in, in Genesis is Eve is almost prophesying over her, her sons, and she's explaining something about her that's going to pass on to her children, right? So when she's having Cain, 
She's like something about her, the fact that she has gotten herself something with God's help. That, that, that character is going to be marked on Cain. And, and later, when she has Seth, that, uh, that sense of God-givenness, that sense of, of true um, graciousness, that's going to be marked on Seth's life. Right? This is the first thing in your note sheets. It's just about the way Scripture deals with, with names and whatnot. In the Bible, children inherit their parents' character. And this is often attached to the names they are given. Children inherit their parents' character. And this is often attached to the names they are giving. So, when we say that, that Cain means I've gotten for myself, or I've acquired for myself, or I've taken possession, we should pay attention to that. Let's go on in the story. So, time is right. Um, presumably this means it's probably like harvest time, Right? And, uh, and so, just as instinctually, Cain and Abel, they know what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to honor God, because God's out there, and we need to, you know, bless him. We need to, to acknowledge him. And so Cain uh, gives uh, an offering to Yahweh of the land's crops. Good. Abel, because he's a farmer, that's what he's got. He goes out to his field, he hacks down an olive tree, or he gets some grain, or whatever it is. And he goes, and he gives that to God. Likewise, Abel uh, goes, he's a, he's a sheep herder, and so he goes, and he grabs one of his sheep, and he offers that to God. But Genesis goes out of its way to, to make a little, little distinction here. It's subtle, but it's there. So what did, what did Cain do? He, he, he brought some of the land's crops. Very nice of you, Cain. What, what did Abel do? He brought the fat parts of his oldest sheep, or in other translations, his firstborn sheep. In the ancient world, um, that's actually kind of a risky move, um, because you're always just a, a, you're always one season away from starving in the ancient world. We don't experience this because we have trucks that bring us food from wherever. The, I guess it's the middle of the country where they make food, the flyover part, and then they put that. That's what they're that's what they're there for in the United States is to put food in trucks and send it to the coasts where the important people live, right? Um. So we don't know what that's like, but in the ancient world, it's very real. And so uh, your, your oldest sheep is the one that's, that's the best food. It's, it's fattened up. It's got a lot of meat on it. If there's a famine that comes, this is going to be the one that's going to, you know, help your family survive for a while. Not that skinny little, you know, whatever. You want a big fatty one. And moreover, the fat portions, really, these are the portions that are most nutritious for human beings. They give us the most sustenance. And they also smell the best when you barbecue them. And if you do it right, if you do it right, you can seal in the fat as it's melting in the barbecue into the, the meat by searing it. There's very complicated, they do it at Morton's on all of their steaks. And it tastes amazing when you do it right. It's the best. So Abel, it seems like he's gone in, he's put a little extra effort in, right? He's, he's taking a little risk here. If there's a famine, God, I'm still going to give you my best. Not only that, I'm going to give you the portion that would presumably keep my family alive, but, but I, want, I want you to have it. Why? There's something different going on in his, in his, his, his attitude. His, his, his idea of what he's doing is different. If we take these little hints together and we, we think about Cain being the one who's like, I've gotten for myself, right? And we think about the fact that he just kind of, kind of like just grabs some, some, some crops and gives them to God. I think we start to get a sense for, for the difference here. 
I do have a slide. I'm just going to skip it for time, but it's on the back of your note sheets. I've, I've gotten some, uh, some places where God rejects sacrifices, right? You can sacrifice anything to God. You can give him sugar. You can give him uh, wine. You can give God, in the ancient world, you can do lots of things. And God almost never rejects your sacrifice unless there's something wrong with your heart. Unless he senses that you're kind of going through the motions, Unless he gets the feeling that maybe you don't have the right sort of, I don't know, attitude towards him. I would like you to think probably what's going on. I think what Genesis is suggesting as far as how Cain's operating is he's sort of like, um, he sees himself in this, uh, this three-partner firm, right? God's the senior partner. He's a- another partner. And then Abel is the third partner. And the three of them are working together, you know, doing their jobs. And so at the end of a season, right, if if everyone works together in the firm and they all do their part, right, then what you do is at the end you get the the money and then you dole it out based on who earned what. That's kind of how, I mean, I don't really know because I've never done any business, but it seems like that's what most of y'all do. You just kind of, whoever earned the most and and based on what you've put in. I think I have a picture of someone like handing out money, yes. Um. The way that Cain's approaching this is he's like, he's a farmer. That's a crappy job. So he's like, his back hurts. He's been sweating in the sun. He's been digging ditches. He's been, you know, planting seeds. And he's like, God, I did my part. You did your part. Here's your cut. Right? Like, okay, I, I did the, let's be honest, the hard part. All you did is make it rain. Like, in the sun. Like, I'm the one hurting here, God. And so I, I've done the, I've done the, but I do acknowledge, I do acknowledge that you did have some part here. And I, and I want you to know I appreciate it. I really do, I really do. And so here, here's what you get. This is what you're worth. And basically what God does is he looks at that and he's like, nah, you can keep it. That's ah, all right. Really? You obviously need it more than me, so I'm fine. And then the other partner in the fern, uh, Abel, comes up and he's like, Lord, I am so grateful. You are the best. You are amazing. Without, without you taking me on as a partner in this firm, without any of those things happening, nothing would be possible. And I just, and so not just for you, but also something for the missus. I just, I threw in a little extra for you. I just want you to know how much I appreciate you. And in front of everybody at the firm, after rejecting Cain's, you know, paltry check, the, the senior partner in the firm looks and says, oh, thank you. I really appreciate that, Abel. You're doing great, buddy. And now Cain feels kind of bad. Uh, the next thing in your note sheets is that Genesis strongly suggests that Cain's offering is a payment for services rendered rather than a sign of a heart of worship. He's like, I did this. Yeah, God, you helped, but I took care of it. And Abel's like, nothing is possible without you. You've been so good and gracious to us. Let's go on. So what happens? Well, I mean, it's a humiliating moment, really. Uh, Cain's been out there slaving away, working super hard. He's been 
putting in 18-hour days uh, over and over and over. And when the harvest finally comes in, he gives the boss, you know, the senior partner, his cut. It gets shoved back in his face. And right in front of him is his, uh, his little brother, little brother, not even as big and awesome as he is, who has a much easier job, by the way, just making sure that the sheep don't die. Come on, how hard can it be? Um, and then that, that, and then suddenly the, the senior partner's like, oh, well done, you're awesome, I love you. He's humiliated. He's shamed. And like any proud man, when he's been shamed, he, uh, he, he throws his head down. The, the, it's really true. It's like uh, the, he's burning with anger. He's getting so hot and so mad at Abel and God. And so he, he, he puts his head down. Um, and literally, uh, the, the Hebrew is weird here, but it's kind of like um, uh, there's this contrast between putting your head down in anger and God saying, well, if you do the right thing, if, you, if you'd actually had the right attitude, there would be lifting. Like there's the opposite. Your face would be turned up. You've been watching the World Cup. Like most red-blooded Americans, you all have ignored it. Well done. Soccer is a silly sport. The beautiful game. <laughs> I mean, I think about you. Think about like a like a I don't know a real sports star, like a like an NFL player, basically like a bus in human form, right? Or, or an NBA player, like a giant amongst men, and yet you know. You think you think about, think about a soccer star, they're probably, I mean, what, like a, like a flamingo, maybe? <laughs> kind of emaciated, um, because they spend most of the time on the field sort of holding their knee, um, trying to catch their breath, and, and then once, the, once, the, they, they're, once the, um, the, they're on the big screen, they see that, and then they're like, oh, okay, I'm good, and then they get back up. It's a fascinating sport. I love it so much. Um, I'm just kidding. Soccer is actually really amazing. I, I didn't know. I, that's how I used to feel before I got over my prejudices. That was the thing. I used to think that about soccer. Then I actually started to watch it. It's amazing. It is a beautiful game. Um, and Aaron, you did not waste any of your time in your life becoming a pro soccer player. Okay. Uh, so uh, the most fascinating thing happened yesterday. Uh, I was watching the Russia-Croatia game. And you kind of want both teams to lose because, really? But... <laughs> But you're, you're there, and, and, and that's great. And, uh, and this game, soccer is interminable. It lasts for days on end. And, and so after, like, after hundreds and hundreds of minutes of people running back and forth doing nothing, they, um, they, they, they finally get to the point where the, everyone's had enough. Everyone's sick and tired of it. And so like, that's it. We're just going to settle this with penalty kicks. And basically, they just take the guys and put them right in front of the goal and like, kick the ball. And whoever gets the most in wins. Great sport. Genius. Love it so much. Normally what happens after you lose is this. Yes. Like I said, fl- flamingos. The fr- as soon as the game is over, the losing team just flops around on the ground. They're like, they're like a salmon that's been like kicked out of the stream trying to get back in. Like, ah, oh, groveling. We're embarrassed. We're failures. Ah. Oh. The most incredible thing happened. You should have seen Russia. Russia lost. But this is what they did. This is what they looked like. Wow. They're like, you know what? Yeah, we took it on the chin. But man, we, we played great. There was none of this like, oh, if only we had done more. Instead, it was like, we have worked our butts off. And we have demonstrated to our country and to the world that we were in it to win it. 
And yeah, we didn't come up on top. But man, I can honestly look myself in the mirror and say, this was it. I, I gave everything I had. And I am proud of what we have accomplished. It, it, was like they, it was like soccer players who were actually men. It was the strangest thing. Did you notice what, uh, what, what God said? He, said? he said, you know, your face, Cain, is humiliated, he's shamed. He's like, if you're doing right, if you're doing worship right, then, then instead of having your head turned down, you're going to have your head, your face lifted up. You're going to be able to hold your head up. Not, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, you're going to get all the stuff that you want. He doesn't say, I'm going to bless you with prosperity and doing this, that, and the other. He doesn't say, that. He doesn't say you're going to win the soccer game. You're not going to win the World Cup necessarily, but at least you're going to get to keep your head up. You're going to be able to live in front of me as though I am your God and you are my man. That's the next thing here, no cheats. Having Abel's attitude towards God does not guarantee prosperity. It lets you hold your head up high. Which in some ways is kind of dispiriting, I guess. And surely what we want um, from worship is some kind of guarantee that if we go and give God his, he's going to give us ours. In fact, most of my friends who are either ex-Christians or agnostic or atheists, what they, what they, they tend to think, and maybe if, if you're in that group, maybe this is what you tend to think, you kind of think like, well, it, I mean, shouldn't there be some quid pro quo here? Doesn't the Bible seem to assume like if you live a good life and you do the right stuff and you honor God the way he ought to be honored, then you're going to get something? Isn't that kind of how it works? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? God doesn't say, I'm going to bless you and multiply you. He does say that in other places, not here. <laughs> uh, he, he, and, and that's a different context. It's not about worship. What, what, he, what he does say is if you worship right, you're going to get to look him in the eye. And you're going to get to know that I'm your God and you're my man or woman. And so the first thing I, I think that we... Um, well, I'd like to just think about this for a second. I'd like to take a moment. And, and just kind of think about what that might mean um, for us. Because that doesn't seem like, I don't know, what we might want. True fact about human beings. You will worship something. You can't help it. And whatever you worship is going to end up ruling you. You're going to build your life around it. And it's going to happen whether you want it to or not. This is just something weird about human beings. And it's unique uh, in the, you know, you think about like animals and whatnot. Animals don't have this, this thing. This is something unique to human beings where human beings have to serve something. They have to worship something. And whatever they worship, they end up serving and building their lives around and you can think about this in any person in your life, yourself, anyone else, you can recognize what uh, pe people have built their lives around. For some people, a lot of people, especially here in Southern California, especially in Orange County, it's, um, it's having fun or pleasure, right? Um, it's, you know, it's the next drink, it's the next vacation, it's the next um, paycheck, it's the next um, dance party, whatever it is, uh, the next Ferrari. Whatever it is, that, that's, that's kind of like the, the center of life and for most people around here. And, and having a good time, because YOLO, you only live once, you gotta make sure you get the best, most that you can. Out of, oh, the next sexual encounter, it's a big one. 
Um, whatever it is, that's what you put your life around. It's how you build your life. And those things, whatever they are, they begin to be what you think about, what you focus on, what you, because you are built in deeply to worship. And Bob Dylan said it. When Bob Dylan says it, you know it's true. You don't need to trust the Bible. You can just trust Bob Dylan. That was a joke. I know someone's be mad. I'm not, I'm not serious about that. He said you've got to serve somebody. Cain's, Cain's problem is that he's, um, he's out there and he's like, he's like, God, I know you're there and I want to acknowledge you. Um, I want to make sure that I, you know, sort of check that box. Um, but really, I'm, I got this over here. That's who I'm really serving. I'm serving me. Abel's willing to take a risk and willing to do something that hurts and say, God, I want to be after you. And what's really crazy is uh, what, the way God has set things up. God's not just this you know, invisible fairy in the sky. God is the creator of the universe. He is the father of all. He is the one who has made you, who has loved you, who has given himself for you. God is not just uh, a one. God is, God is also the Trinity. He is a father, the son, and the spirit. He is um, the one who created all, who has his will sovereign over all things, and yet comes in to be a part of our lives in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving himself fully, emptying himself, giving everything that he has, including his own life and own blood, so that he can be with you to know you and love you, and to save you and to secure for you eternity in, in heaven. And not only that, but he is God the spirit, who enlivens and gives the very divine life of God, and in, in causes us to live it have, it, have it coursing through our veins, to have the experience of what it is to, to, to live as God lives. He is all of these things. He is the most beautiful, most transcendent, wonderful being that ever could or has or will be. And he's up there saying, all I want you to do is love me. You are going to serve somebody. Why not that? Why not him? So many of my um, ex-Christian and agnostic friends are going through life, and then um, they start to realize that uh, the world is uh, it's a messed up place. And they say, if God were really good, then he wouldn't let this happen. It's so funny. The Bible never even asks that question. That question only occurs to people who live in the first world in the West who have everything handed to, to us on a platter. I know life is really hard, but seriously, it's not like we're starving here. Um, it, it never occurs to the people in the Bible to sit there and be like, like, gosh, God, why do you let terrible things happen? The Bible doesn't sit there and apologize for Abel being murdered. Abel does everything right. He ends up dead. The Bible's not sitting there being like, what a tragedy, oh my gosh. The Bible's like, that's how life is. That's what sin does. That's what evil is in the world. It's real, it's a part of things. The Bible never sits there and worries about that. It's just how it is. We're the ones who flip out and be like, we could have done it better. Really? Could we have? I suggest that that if you're... um, if you're agnostic, ex-Christian, atheist, new to faith, something like that, and you're wondering about these things, 
don't say that the Bible is not worth listening to because, you know, life didn't work the way you wanted it to. Instead, recognize that Scripture assumes that's the case. Scripture at the very beginning says, yeah, the world's really jacked up. What's God going to do about it? And we'll see that as we go on. Second, ironically, uh, I would say that of all the people in the world who are most Cain-like, it's probably, uh, it's probably regular Christian folks. We, uh, we're archaic. We pass a plate. Did you know that if I stopped passing a plate, our income would decline by 15%? True fact. They've done studies on this. Um, our, our tithe money would go down by 15% because the, there's apparently like a social, like you see the plate and you're like, oh, fine. <laughs> right? I love uh, auto debit. It's fantastic. Um, I don't even think our, our, our giving just disappears and it's like it was never there. So it's like I just get to go about my day and I have auto debit to make sure that God gets his, right? I'm working my, well, I don't work very hard, but Erin, my wife, she works hard. She works real hard out the week. She's stressed out, whatever, and then she gets a paycheck, and, 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 and man, the last thing she wants to do is like turn that in, into cash and place that into the offering plate. Can you imagine how hard that would be? To like, like let's just say that you tithe and, you know, you, whatever, and, and, and you, you go and you actually tra- tra- uh, go to the ATM and pull out cold, hard cash, and you, like, set that in the plate. First off, if you give a lot, people will be like, dang, sup, play, I want to be friends with you. So you get that. That's a bonus. Um, but, but you're sitting there, and you're like, you're like oh, this, this sucks. This hurts. I, oh, man, think of all the, think of all the Chick-fil-A I could eat with this. Oh, man. Oh, gosh, I really do want to get that, that gaming PC. I just, if I just, uh, it really hurts. The beauty of auto-debiting is that it makes it perfunctory. It makes it like it's just part of life. You don't have to think about it. You know, you get yours, you get, give God his cut. You know, God, I, I checked that box off. You got what you needed. Great, I don't have to worry about you anymore. I can go back to my regular life. Who does that sound like? By all means, don't stop auto-debiting. You're t- don't, don't take the wrong lesson here. If anything, you should be auto-debiting more. <laughs> no, no. Uh, my, my, my point is that it's, it's really natural for human beings to try to worship in such a way that we don't notice it. To make God just another box that we check off so we can get onto the real parts of life, the things that we're really invested in, the stuff we're really serving, right? What, we, what the challenge for human beings is, the challenge for us is to find ways to make sure that our worship hurts a little bit. That our worship, you know, Abel's there, he's like, I really wanted that ribeye. Darn it. Right? He's found a way. It's not like, you know, the sheep is better than the, the crops. No. It's that he's found a way to make sure worship costs him something. He doesn't just check it off and, and send it to it's It's real. It's tangible. And so maybe you can look in your life and say, I'm kind of an auto-debitor when it comes to worship. And maybe you're the kind of person who's like, I'm doing this because I figure if I give God his, then he'll give me mine. 
Last but not least, the, the, the heads up and happy. There's some of you here who um, are like Abel, and you do, um, you have worship that, that costs you, and, and, and through thick and thin, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, you, God's your God, and you're God's man or woman. And you have the, the joy and the happiness of knowing that you serve the living, beautiful, transcendent, glorious, self-giving God. And that gives you succor and encouragement and peace. Tell somebody about it. No, seriously. Be like, be, like, be like, hey, guess what? The reason I'm not miserable like you is because I have faith in my life. Like, that's so simple. Especially to your agnostic, atheist, you know, ex-Christian friends. Be like, dude, the reason this isn't horrible day in and day out is because I am God's man or woman and he is my God. Whatever you do, we all have to strive to be people who are able to hold our heads up before God. It's not something that comes natural to us. We want to check off the box. We want to walk away. We want to blame God for this and, and forget God about that. It's so hard for us to find a way to keep worshiping in a way that's authentic and real and energetic and fresh and in some cases painful and costly. And yet if we can do that, if we can do that, then God promises that we will finally be the people he made us to be. We will be the people who really are joyful, who really are at peace, who really are happy Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we confess that um, you're often a, a box that we check off. We confess that we come to you with expectations for what um, you need to give us and what you need to serve us with. We come to you, if we come to you at all, with the expectation of what you ought to give us. Or we come to you with a, a recognition that we ought to owe you something and we just want to pay you off. God, we repent of these attitudes. We ask for supple, tender hearts who worship and love you just because you're amazing, just because you're the creator, just because everything that we do is possible only because of you. Because you've given us Christ, you've given us life, you've given us hope, you've given us salvation, eternity with you. God, enliven in our hearts a desire to love you as you ought to be loved simply because you are so good and you are such an amazing God. And Lord, if that costs us something, let our hearts be ready to bear it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.